The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 225. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a time lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart team. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the seventh Doctor story called Greatest Show in the Galaxy. And joining me today on the panel are Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, we would greatly appreciate it if you could do us one big favor, if you're a fan of the show, which you must be if you're listening to write us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from, and also to share the podcast with your friends. Uh, that helps us grow our community of listeners and makes the show better. Uh, we will also want to encourage you to stick around to the end. We're going to have some feedback, some listener feedback at the very end. But first, let's talk about this episode of Doctor Who. This is the, the fourth and final serial of the 25th season of Doctor Who, featuring... Sylvester McCoy's Seventh Doctor. That's what this one features. Uh, it uh, coincidentally our two hundred and twenty fifth episode. That's kind of uh, a fun coincidence. This uh, so this was released in December of nineteen eighty eight. So that kind of places this in in our time. Uh, and uh, he's joined by Ace. Jimmy, can you give us a quick recap of what this one was about? Sure. So uh, Ace and the Doctor are on board the TARDIS, and a robot materializes in the TARDIS and gives them an advertising pitch to come to the Psychic Circus, the greatest show in the galaxy. Ace is reluctant, but uh, the Doctor and the advertisement convince them to go, and so they show up on the planet Seganax, where the Psychic Circus is located. They have to walk a ways to get there. There are other people coming to the Psychic Circus, and it turns out that the Psychic Circus was founded some years ago. Um, it's an intergalactic circus, but it was founded some years ago by a bunch of hippie types to express creativity and things like that. But over time, it's become corrupted, and the Doctor and Ace are investigating what has corrupted it. It turns out that these days, the Psychic Circus has, like, three people in its audience, a mother, a child, and their daughter, who have no names and are really creepy. And everyone else in the audience is, like, invisible, but you can hear them cheering and clapping and booing at the axe. And anybody else who shows up at the circus is immediately enlisted in a talent competition to become one of the acts. But the twist is, you only survive as long as you can entertain the mother, the father, and the daughter. And if you stop entertaining them with your act, something horrible happens to you like you're hit by lightning. We never actually see that, but it's strongly implied. We hear, the fl hear it and kind of see the flash from off stage. And eventually, the doctor learns that the family 
are actually a group of entities he refers to as the gods of Ragnarok, who he has fought, he says, from the beginning of time. And he ends up performing for them in a kind of underground dungeon version of the circus. And he does various stage magic tricks and is able to entertain them kind of long enough that Ace and some of the other people we meet, like a werewolf lady named Mags, and some of the circus workers are able to put together an amulet that has the eye of the gods of Ragnarok on it, and he uses that to reflect their attacks back on them and to destroy the psychic circus, after which one of the circus workers, who's initially a guy named Deadbeat, who who's kind of mentally slow, has recovered his mind, and he was actually the original leader of the circus, a guy named Kingpin. And so the episode ends with Kingpin rebuilding the circus with Mags as one of his first acts. We also meet other members of the circus. There's a gypsy fortune teller named Morgana. There's a ringmaster. There's the chief clown, who's very sinister. There's a a couple of sweet younger people who are kind of Commedia dell'arte lovers. One of them is named Bellboy. The other is named Flower Child. And uh, and to me, it's an interesting show. I like Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, what did you think of it, Father Corey? It's one of those I, I mentioned before that it was a. Uh, it's a show that I I liked it more than I remembered. And what's funny is mm-hmm. I was thinking about it. Is first time I saw this was when it first aired on the PBS station in the United States in my in my area up in North Dakota. That you know it when I first started watching Classic Who, Classic Who was still being produced, produced in Great Britain, but it was on kind of a tape delay. I want to say about a year delay, give or take. Mm. Although I, I I want to say I saw this probably during the summer, so it might actually have been about six months. So the first time I saw this was when it was new, it, more or less. It wasn't you know like we do now where they're released the same day, but it was pretty new. And they did the movie format where they literally would cut off all the cliffhangers between the episodes and cram it all into one two-hour episode. So, um, but yeah. it, it I, I didn't enjoy watching it again this time. Like I said, it. it been a while since I'd seen it, and I, I didn't remember I liked it as much, mainly because of, you know, creepy circus and creepy clowns, but. <laughs> creepy clowns. I I did not see it when it was originally broadcast in the States. I didn't see it until more recent years, and I've always liked this one. This is a kind of dream logic mm-hmm. episode. It mm-hmm. has a lot of the same characteristics as a lot of the Sylvester McCoy era, like Paradise Towers and, oh, the one where they where they go to the seaside camp. The holiday camp oh, yeah. episode, yeah, yeah, and and it has this kind of quirky, kitschy dream logic that works for me, and so I really enjoy that. Obviously, the title is a reference to the greatest show on earth, mm-hmm. the slogan of the Ringling Brothers and Barnum Barnum and Bailey Circus, mm. which has such a such a prodigious name because it was a fusion of several circuses. Yep. yep. And I remember seeing it. It's out of business now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I remember going to see it as a kid, and it was way more spectacular than the Psychic Circus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Psychic Circus is like this shabby, you know, little circus in a tent. I don't really get what's psychic about it. The only one who does That's anything psychic. That's my question psych- was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a great name, but the only person on staff who does anything psychic is the fortune teller Morgana. But lots of circuses and fairs have fortune tellers. Right. <laughs> so I think the title is cooler than what they actually show the performers doing. One of the things that struck me as I was watching this is 
it's kind of a 1960s mm. mood poem, 1960s mm. and mixed with 1980s, because you also have these like punk elements, like with Nord the Vandal, who's this bat-eared biker, three-wheeled biker <laughs> writer guy, yes, uh, who's very 1980s. And so Ace yeah. relates to him and his bike immediately. Oh, yeah. yeah. But this is like the outer space 1960s colliding with the outer space 1980s. Yeah. And it's very interesting. By the way, there's a sequel of sorts mm-hmm. to this by Big Finish that's just called The Psychic Circus. It has the same voice actors as Kingpin and the Chief Clown back, and they recast uh, Morgana, and that we get to hear some other characters that are mentioned in this episode, but that we don't see, like Juniper Berry. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's interesting, because, and it stars Sylvester McCoy, of course. It's by the author mm. of The Greatest Show in the Galaxy, so it's the same actual author. And what he does in it is he tells the story of the founding of the Psychic Circus, and so we see them when they're young and idealistic and uncorrupted, and uh-huh. how they fall under the thrall of the gods of Ragnarok. And from from their perspective, from the circus performer's perspective, it's a prequel to mm-hmm. The Greatest Show in the Galaxy, but it's later in the Doctor's timeline. So from the Doctor's perspective, it's a sequel right. uh-huh. to The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. So it's simultaneously yeah. a prequel and a sequel. Well, and in, in, in speaking of Big Finish, uh, Megs also returns in Big Finish as a companion. She travels oh. with the Doctor in the TARDIS for three adventures so far. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, when you, when you watch Mags in this episode, uh, she's the werewolf lady, young werewolf lady. So she's like a companion, except she's also a werewolf. Mm-hmm. But she functions very much like a companion yeah. yep. in this episode itself. She's helping the Doctor do stuff. She's helping Ace do stuff. She's ba- she already is a lot like a companion, and Big Finish has so far given her three oh, wow. companion stories, including the awesomely named An Alien Werewolf in London. Yeah. <laughs> Which includes Ace, to... by the way. That episode also includes Ace. Oh, cool. I have to say, speaking of Barnum and Bailey Circus, that, that I went to that every year for my birthday as a kid, because they oh, always wow. came, to, they came to Boston in October, so... Yeah, I loved the Barnum and Bailey Circus. So I, lo- I love the circus. It was awesome. And yeah, you're right. It was epic, uh, especially for a kid. Well, I would I, I would have loved to have seen the Barnum and Bailey Circus with the train because oh they gosh. never came up my area, so I never got to see the train. You know, they had sure. uh, yeah. Well, I never saw the train. train uh, but... Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. They would have a parade through the city to the to the Boston Garden. It was awesome. Uh, one of the things you mentioned, like at the t- at the time, it said it. One of the things that really sets it in the '80s uh, as as in being produced is the rap that the ringmaster does before every... <laughs> oh my gosh, that was very 80s rap, too. That was not anything else. <laughs> I, I, I like the rapping ringmaster. That's yep. a nice touch. Yeah, it was It was good. A uh, couple of things I uh, you know, I highlighted as I was watching this is uh, apparently um, Junk Mail in the Future is a little gizmo robot that shows that transmats to where you are unannounced. So I, I kind of like that. Uh, that's that is a would be a, firm, a version of spam that uh, would be really obnoxious, uh, and that kites are drones in the future, uh, which mm-hmm. did because they had these kites that were searching for bellboy and uh, flower child who were yep. they were trying to escape from the circus, and they had the the clowns had these kites with eyes on them that were flying looking for them, and it was really kind of creepy. But I'm like that those are drones essentially, which I thought yeah. was kind of interesting. It also seemed to me that you mentioned the clowns, and it seems to me that about this time was when the creepy clown meme 
yeah. was really starting to take off, but it wasn't dominant the right. way it is now. When I was a kid in the 70s, you know, clowns were thought of as fun. And today you mention clowns to people and their first thought is, oh, those sinister things. Yeah. And there was kind of a transition that was happening around this time. So if you notice, Ace is on the leading edge of clowns are creepy, mm-hmm. but the doctor is not so much. Right. And in this episode, one of it fits in a in a kind of larger arc that you may not notice at first when you first watch these episodes, but the doctor is pushing Ace repeatedly to confront her fears. Right. Mm. And this is th- that's why he's more interested in getting her to go to the circus than she is. He's not interested in the circus for his own for its own sake. He wants her to face her fears. And there was behind the scenes a reason for that, which is the doctor was eventually had they gotten another season was eventually going to have her go off to take undertake training as a time lady. Mm. And oh. so he's clearing the way for that. And you'll notice in upcoming Seventh Doctor episodes, multiple times it's focused on getting Ace to face her yep. fears. And that's uh, one of the things I was going to say about... Um, clowns? Oh, the clowns. Yes, thank you. Uh, 1986, Stephen King's It came out. It, um, yeah. I'm going to guess that is a big reason in the, sh- in the shift. Also, I just love the surrealism of clowns driving around in a hearse. The mm-hmm. classic it's hearse, clearly, yeah. it's it's a hearse yeah. they're driving, driving around in a hearse, tracking stock characters that look like they're from Commedia dell'arte, yeah. <laughs> yeah. with bellboy and flower child, the young lovers, as they're tracking them with kites. Mm-hmm. I right. mean, all of that's just great surrealism. And we should mention that, except for the chief clown, all the other clowns are robots built mm-hmm. by bellboy, so right. they're, and- they're not people. And the clown, the kites are built by Flower Child, so their own inventions have been corrupted against them. Right, right. right. Yeah. So you mentioned about how the Doctor's pushing Ace to confront her fears. Is that why it seems like Ace is right all along, that this psychic circus is up to no good, and the Doctor seems uh, naive about it and blind or even arrogant? Is that just him well, overpowering that? It, it, it's I, my take on it is that he really knows he's he's doing the I know much more than I'm letting on thing, mm-hmm. which okay. the doctor has done since the second doctor's time. The seventh doctor is basically a more sinister version of the second doctor. Hmm. And there are a couple of times in this serial where the doctor is by himself and says, this is getting out of control sooner than I expected. Mm-hmm. And that okay. indicates he knew going in, this is going to go somewhere out of control. Right. He just hasn't been letting it on to the other characters. Well, okay. and one thing, too, you, you mentioned, of course, this plan for, for Ace, um, you know, it was part of all this, this Cartmel master plan we've talked about, you know, multiple times before, where there's much more they want to do with the Seventh Doctor as far as his past and who the Doctor really is, kind of putting a lot of question with that. And I wonder if this whole issue with the gods of Ragnarok, or as Sylvester McCoy love calling the gods of Ragnarok, I mean, he really <laughs> was you know, rolling the R's every time he said that. But I, I just yes. I wonder if this was something they had planned too to go on a longer because he said I've always been fighting you, you know. Yeah, so I wonder right. if they were going to more reveal of that later on too. And even if they didn't, it's another indication of the car, or reflection of the Cartmel master plan that the Doctor is much more. Than what he appears. He's been fighting with these people since the beginning of time. Mm. Also, and I forgot to mention this earlier, but um, Sylvester McCoy had a very similar background, or a, 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 this would resonate with his background as a performer. 
Mm -hmm. because he wasn't just a standard actor. He had done experimental theater before that's a lot like what the circus had done. And so he would do things like, you know, hammer nails up his nose Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, which is a kind of circusy thing to do. And he'd Mm. been on this, I forget the name, the Graham something or other road show Mm. that would go around and do experimental theater in unusual venues like restaurants and things like that. So the circus kind of reflects his background as a performer. Right. Yeah, I saw a note somewhere that uh, said that a lot of the like the the tricks he was doing because he had to perform he, were tricks either he knew he you know magic tricks he knew already or ones he learned for this episode. So he does like a the the classic rope cutting trick and a couple mm-hmm. of you know, pretty standard stage magician right. tricks. Well, that's, that's yeah, that's where the spoons came in in the first his first episode was he played the spoons as part of his right. original act. Yep. Yeah. I, I've been studying magic a good bit lately, partly just out of personal interest and also partly because of how it relates to Mysterious World. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating watching these tricks from that perspective because, you know, some of them, now they do a few that are just camera tricks, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and, and those are pretty obvious. But not all of it is camera tricks. Some of it is actual stage magic that Sylvester McCoy either knew or I have read he was coached mm-hmm. in how to do some of the tricks. And like he does this, he does the rope trick that you mentioned, which is a standard one. He also like looks like he produces two eggs from his mouth. Right. right. You know, like he spits out one of them and then he's got another one mm-hmm. in there. And it's like, how is he holding that many eggs in his mouth? And looking at it now and trying to be delicate for those who don't want to know too much about how it's done. It's like, okay, he's really only got one egg in his mouth, but he's making it look like he has two eggs in his mouth. And it's like, hey, that looks like a re- kind of like a reverse French drop with a gimmicked egg. And it's obviously <laughs> a gimmicked egg because of the way he then vanishes it in his, in his closed fist. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, I know exactly how he's doing that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's a little sleight of hand going on there. Yeah. So it is co- kind of cool that he does the actual trick for some of them, you know, that he's doing them you know, for the for the camera, then it's not just camera tricks. And I kind of appreciate that they did some practical magic tricks uh, there. Yeah, this is also, I believe, the first time they've done actual stage magic on Doctor Who since the Talons of Wing Chiang right. back in Tom Baker's era, mm-hmm. because they have performing stage magic there. And they really did it the way it was done in the 1800s. They actually are using the dark arts mm-hmm. in that episode. The dark arts being a special subtype of stage magic that relies on the darkness of the stage environment, so people can't see certain things that are happening. Okay, yeah. And we'll be talking about that uh, story soon, very soon. Uh, We should mention there's a couple other characters we didn't mention yet. Uh, One is Captain Cooks. Oh, no, Captain Cook. Captain Cook. Cook. I'm sorry, yeah, I think I mistyped. Uh, Captain Cook. Who is a, a sort of a stereotypical, almost like like a British explorer type, with even with a pith helmet, the whole thing Do- like Dr. that. Doctor Livingston type, yeah. This Captain Cook is a comedic, over pompous version of the actual explorer Captain Cook that discovered Australia that we talked about in the Drop Bears episode of Mysterious World. Ah. Okay, he's he's very obnoxious in this. I mean, he's mm-hmm. so obnoxious and arrogant. He he treats Mags horribly like like a yeah. like an object and no he, he refers to her repeatedly as a specimen yep. yeah exactly and and, and, it, and tries to refer to ace the same way 
and the doctor takes exception to that. Yeah. And uh, and and he's constantly because everyone ha- who shows up at the circus is put you know to the to the test and eventually to death. He's constantly maneuvering things to push other people in front of him. I mean, I don't understand what his ultimate plan is, if he thinks he's going to oh. escape at some point. but yeah. his, his ultimate plan is to take over uh, or is to forge an alliance with the gods of Ragnarok okay. and, and gain power thereby. Yep. Okay. But uh, in the meantime, he keeps pushing everyone else. Uh, you know, maneuvering and, and tricking yep. them into being the next act. So, S- survivor uh, of the fittest, my dear chap. <laughs> right, and, right, and 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 I like that satirization of uh, of nineteenth century idealism mm-hmm. because that was one of the things of the time. There was this social Darwinism yep. kind of thing that was sort of taking off. And in the late 19th and early 20th century, and and it, it it was very dispassionate, and it's like, okay, yeah, survival of the fittest. I'm one of the fittest, and you're not. Yeah. And this is pointing out how horrible that is. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. the The doctor also has a time where he sort of extols the free free spirit hippie <laughs> uh, nature of the circus. Uh, there's a so here's what he says. Um, how many people have you destroyed? I wonder. He's talking to the uh, the gods of Ragnarok. Before Kingpin was lured down here, poor Kingpin, that's what you like, isn't it? Taking someone with a touch of individuality and imagination and wearing them down to nothingness in your service. And I wonder if if it's a commentary a bit on, say, I don't know, the BBC or audiences who only who want more, more, more and don't appreciate, you know, they want the, the same old, same old product of the system instead of the art and creativity of someone say like sylvester mccoy or the doctor in general <laughs> what, do you, what do you think is that is there like a subtext in there father uh you know i think there might be some uh one, one comment i saw online was that the whiz kid is is the stereotypical doctor who fan you know he's kind of yes. like the nerdy i've got all the posters and i've got all the mailings and i've i've been following you for all these years and so the, <laughs> I, I i think there is probably a little bit of commentary too on the the, the gods of ragnarok being the gods quote-unquote of the bbc i think that could be a very easy thing to compare or right. even darkly the audience or yeah yes the, 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 unless the you general, entertain us you die yeah right right the show. general viewing audience yeah like mm-hmm. not just the fans right and and that general viewing audience killing off Wizkid, which who we haven't mentioned yet that uh but he's he's a stereotypically nerdy he's 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 harry potter without the lightning bolt scar is what he is (laughs) yes and no magic magic. (laughs) so he shows up he's a huge fan and he is meant consciously as a parody of the super fan Mm -hmm. right and once you realize that there's some fascinating stuff happens with him because morgana the gypsy who's sort of the ticket taker at the psychic psychic circus she keeps trying to warn people not to go in and because she knows what's going to happen to them. And right. then the clown or the ringmaster will show up and usher them in. But once WizKid starts talking to her, she just ushers him right in. <laughs> and and, yeah. and he, he's going on about the posters they've had of all the planets they've played on. And he's, at one point, he's talking to someone. And and he's not just a, a, a parody of the superfan. He's specifically a parody of the Doctor Who superfan. Yeah. So he's talking about all these great things that he knows only from the posters. He's never actually seen the Psychic Circus perform before. Right. 
So he he just knows about the past of the circus from spin-off media and and <laughs> and things that aren't actual. And he says, "I know it's not as good as it used to be, or at least that's what I've heard." And he's that <laughs> cipher talking about Doctor Who. This is the fan, this is the super fan in the pre-VCR age. Yeah. So right. he's never seen any of the history of the show. He just knows about it from things he's read, and yet he judges the current show as not as good because of what he's been told about its glorious yeah. past. Wow, that that hasn't changed at all. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and to be fair, by 1988, there was a lot of Doctor Who was available on VCR, not all of it, uh, but a good yep. chunk of it. And of course, again, you know, like how I watched it was on PBS, that they were showing all the old episodes all the way back to the first Doctor. So it was starting to become more available by 1988, but it, was, right. it wasn't like it was today where you can go to BritBox and watch like everything that's available now. Right. Even getting those video, the, those videotapes, the VHS tapes that would have been available in 1988, you wouldn't go down to Blockbuster and get those. No. You'd have to, you'd have to go to a convention and pick them up. Well, if you remember Suncoast Video where they were the, the mall video stores where you could go buy videotapes, at least that's where I would get them. Um, yeah, I don't think we had by, those. Yeah. By the late 80s, early 90s, they were starting to show up in these specialty video stores. Again, not Blockbuster, not Walmart or Kmart or something like that, but the more specialty yeah. video stores. And, of course, there were online ca- – or not online catalogs. This was before online catalogs. Mail this order was the catalogs. actual real mail order catalogs <laughs> where you could order things like that. But Yeah, yeah. And co- probably comic book shops. Yeah. Yeah. Mo- most people knew the history of Doctor Who more through, like you said, the spinoff media, the books, things like that. Yeah, yeah. It's a what a different time we live in to be a fan of something and have access to all of it as opposed to, you know, just what is being shoveled out a little by little in, you know, reruns or new. Uh, So I wanted to mention also that the fact that the only circus employee, the performer who seemed to be all in with the the gods of Ragnarok was the chief clown. Even the ringmaster was. He was reluctant, but going along because he thought this was the only way they could survive. But I thought that was interesting, too. And the chief clown has no personality other other than being, you know, cackling evil in that sense. Mm -hmm. They don't like Morgana, the ringmaster. Everybody else sort of has more to them. The clown is just creepy evil. And that also comes out in the follow up uh, by Big Finish, the where Kingpin is initially he's in he's entirely well intentioned. Mm hmm. And and other people are entirely well intentioned too, and the clown actually comes from Paradise Towers, which was also written by the same oh, author. Yeah. Oh. So the doctor finds the clown in Paradise Towers and brings him to where the other. He ends up going to where the other circus performers are, and he he just has this one ambition because he grew up in this antiseptic environment in Paradise mm-hmm. Towers, where everything is you know polished and and uncluttered and and orderly and he wants to be a clown yeah. he, that's his ambition is like in life he <laughs> wants to be the greatest clown in the galaxy and he doesn't care about anything else and when you don't care about anything else you're willing to do anything to achieve yep. your ambition and so he is <laughs> <laughs> interesting interesting uh i think there's only one other character who shows up in this that we haven't mentioned and that is the 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 representative local uh the, the stall lady the oh she's lady. awesome <laughs> <laughs> she uh she's dressed in this garish outfit who and uh and, but when the doctor and a show up she mocks them or or criticizes them for wearing 
that hippie clothing that they're wearing, which is just very plain outfits. They're not wearing yeah. anything exceptional. It's kind of a funny could, turnabout. Could you imagine what you would have thought of the sixth doctor instead of uh, the seventh? <laughs> oh, he would have been Probably. completely reputable. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's interesting. I like the play that the author of the episodes has between the sort of hippie culture and the normal culture. And neither one comes off as clearly right or clearly wrong. Mm-hmm. The On the one hand, the episode sympathies are with the original optimistic, idealistic versions of the psychic circus people mm-hmm. with their, you know, kind of hippie worldview. But it recognizes that goes bad. Yeah. You know, right. that there's that 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 can that innocence and naivete can be taken advantage of. And become something dark, maybe through drugs would be a um, you know one mm-hmm. way that could happen, because you know people can get enslaved to drugs, kind of like these people are now enslaved to the gods of Ragnarok, yep. hmm. and they kind of don't want to be, but they also kind of are. Then you have the uh, the the normals represented by the bizarre stall lady, mm-hmm. <laughs> who recognizes the problems. With uh, what's happened with the psychic culture, with the psychic circus and the hippie types. But on the other hand, she is a little judgmental. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I like how neither perspective wins out over the others. It seems to me that because we're looking at the circus from the perspective of after it's been corrupted, prevails a little bit more in The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. But when you see the flip side in The Psychic Circus from Big Finish, it's at the beginning where everything is optimistic and starts bright, but then goes dark. And so the the kind of hippie culture prevails a little bit more. And I mm. like how neither one wins out over the other. Neither one is exclusively true. Yep. Right, right. It's lo- Yeah, it's more complex than usual. Like it, it, yeah, I like that balance. Also, one other el- hippie element that we haven't mentioned in this is there's a bus— Yep. Oh, that yeah. is garishly painted. And what this is, it's a, I mean, you might, if, if all you know is from television, like when I was growing up, you might think it's kind of like a really bad version of the Partridge Family bus. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what I thought. <laughs> but actually, the Partridge Family bus is based on what this is actually based on. And this is closer to the original. In the early 1960s, before the hippie movement got started, there was an author named Ken Kesey. And he got together a group of people called the Merry Pranksters. They decided to do a tour of the United States, and there were enough of them they needed a bus. And they were kind of pre-hippie hippies. They were sort of between the beatniks and the hippies. Mm. And they decided to paint the bus in garish colors, and the bus was named Further. Mm. And they had the word Further painted on the front of the bus as bus as they did their tour. And this was all written up in, I think it was Tom Wolfe's book, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. Yeah. And the bus that the psychic circus people have is a knockoff of Further. Ah. And they also have a robot on board it. That's Robot the, driver, the, I think? Yeah, ticket yeah. taker, driver guy, bus, bus conductor. And they explore his backstory a little bit in the Big Finish version where he is also, like the other robots, he's one of Bellboy's creations. Mm. And he was meant as a joke because everything is free on the bus. So yeah. there's, there's you know, you, uh, you, you don't need a ticket, and that's the joke. But here he's been reprogrammed 
And we see how that gets done in the Big Finish spinoff. But he's reprogrammed where if you don't have a ticket, he'll kill you. Right. And the doctor at one point is confronted by him and does this great bit in in the TV <laughs> yes. show where he's, he assumes the persona of like an elderly, overly demanding bus passenger that wants XYZ and he's rattling off all the things he demands as part of his bus service, including at the end, and a crocodile sandwich. Yeah. Right. And it, and he <laughs> overloads the bus driver robot, and it shuts down at that point. Yes. But I love that. Even the crocodile sandwich, that's great. Because <laughs> his demands have been fairly reasonable up to that point. Like, I want a coffee in a plastic cup and things yeah. like that. Yep. I actually haven't had a crocodile sandwich, but I have had crocodile. Or, well, I'm sorry, alligator. Um, I've had alligator in Louisiana, and it tastes like chicken combined with fish. It, it, <laughs> it actually tastes tastes a lot like frog. <laughs> Fishy chicken. I'm not sure that is something that recommends so, it to me. So you're myself. saying take a, take a fillet of fish and a McChicken sandwich and put them together, and you've got you got an alligator McAlligator. <laughs> well, it depends. So you have to think of the right type of fish. It's not. It's not like halibut or whitefish right. or things like that it's like catfish yeah it's that mm. oily bottom dwelling type exactly. of fish yeah okay mm, like mackerel <laughs> <laughs> i think uh is there anything else you want to say about this episode father cory uh there, there's one scene where the scene where they're in the uh bellboys workshop room there uh the doctor and ace and ace kind of says something about well you're you Kind of an old hippie, and the the doctor mutters something. I couldn't quite get it. And uh, oh yeah, the, it's it it's part of a song. Oh well, go ahead. It's well, like I was gonna say. Now the transcript says there might be something in that. Yes, but the uh, the close caption, the close captioning on BritBox says you might be falling in love. Yes, so I can't. I couldn't figure out which it is, but he, he kind of mutters it. It really isn't clear, at least in the audio. I I watched it twice, and I believe it is the song lyric. You might be falling in love. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's interesting. That, uh, do you know what song that is? Is I went looking and I familiar, but I, okay. I went looking. I couldn't find any song with at least from that point or earlier. Because I thought it might have been a song from the '60s, but yeah, I, okay. I couldn't find anything. <laughs> interesting. But it was still just kind of interesting that the the uh, the doctor does the peace sign real quick, and it's like where the doctor is basically saying, "Yeah, I'm a, I'm kind of an old hippie." Yeah. I, yeah. I also like the bit. Later, much later in the eleventh Doctor's time, where they're going to visit Richard Nixon, mm-hmm. and the Doctor is ragging on Richard Nixon, and River Song calls him a hippie and points out Nixon did good stuff too. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. We talked about that recently. Yeah. Uh, oh, one one other thing. Um, when they're when the Doctor and Ace are with the stall lady and they're eating, it looked like they're you know they're supposed to be eating like some plant or some some an or uh, some fruit. It looked like they're eating cold mac and cheese, like the the the, the ring oh, yeah. mac and cheese. It just it looked yeah. oh, oh that looked terrible. It, it 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 did look terrible to me. It looked like corn in mashed inner gourd goop. Mm. <laughs> yes, something like that. It did not look appetizing, and I was with Ace on that. <laughs> and some some gourds are really now. You may think like gourd, like melon, like plants are mm-hmm. sweet and stuff, but not all of them. Yeah. Uh, there are some yeah. that are like durian that are hor- smell horrendous oh, yeah. from oh, a yeah. Western perspective, and uh, I imagine that kind of thing being what they're eating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you have to wonder if uh, Ace's reaction was really Sophie Eldred's act- reaction to having to eat that on camera. <laughs> so, Jimmy, any final thoughts? 
I like how when Mags turns into a werewolf, fur grows through her jacket. Yeah. Yes. Yep. She's got this leather jacket on. Also, I like when the doctor goes into the dark circus, which is what they call the more realistic underground mm-hmm. version mm-hmm. where the gods of Ragnarok are. He says to them telep- telepathically, I'm coming, open a pathway for me. Yep. And he's very determined. And then we have this psychedelic transition mm-hmm. that goes on for some seconds as he's going through psychically into the realm where they dwell. And it's a really, I thought, a really effective use of a psychedelic sequence here. Also, by the way, Mags kills Captain Cook while she's mm-hmm, a werewolf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, later he comes back as a zombie, and he's a really creepy zombie. <laughs> yes, and, yes. and like at one point someone says, I thought you were dead. And he's like, I am, my boy. I am dead. <laughs> very creepy very though he does creepy. say that the, the, the experience is overrated yeah <laughs> yes. yes yeah um i also like when when the doctor destroys the psychic circus oh by the way so there's a great shot of him walking away from the circus tent as the big you know thing is happening and it we see this ex- physical explosion behind him that blows the tent open and actually, they overbuilt the bomb, the yep. pyrotechnics for that. And he actually caught on fire. You can't see it because it's the back part of his clothing. Mm-hmm. But he knew there's not going to be a retake on this. So he just kept walking. And it right. looks awesome <laughs> um, as he just walks away with the explosion behind him. And then we get this computer-generated hot pink explosion yeah. of the entire circus. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's really cool to look at. Yeah, yeah, you, you get you get the doctor doing that that hero walk where you know hero doesn't look back at the explosion. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. With his umbrella over his shoulder. Yep. Yes. Yep. Awesome. All right. So that is the uh, the greatest show in the galaxy. And uh, again, I wonder if the title itself is also a bit of a inside, you know, reference oh, to meta. Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A little meta, being re- meta. reference. Yeah. I, I did mention we have some feedback, so I'm going to uh, mention did this. You? This is for this is uh, yeah I did, and okay. so uh, this is from our recent episode, uh, "Good Man Goes to War: The Elements Doctor Story." Uh, Tim Lucchese wrote on Facebook. He said that when Jimmy mentioned that River's name is a bootstrap paradox, mm-hmm. I started thinking about River's various regenerations in her marriage to the Doctor, and he says parenthetically, a marriage that I don't think the Church would recognize. He says, I've heard Jimmy explain the criteria for an alien being baptized and validity of marriages when time travel's involved, but if a time lord became a Catholic and got married in the church, would their marriage end following a regeneration? And then how would the doctor changing sexes from the you know, 11th to 12th, or 12th to 13th doctor, during regeneration affect this as well? So um, the presumption would be that because a regeneration is not an actual death, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the presumption would be that the, uh, that the marriage is still valid. And that, actually, they pay off in Doctor Who when River, after Matt Smith's time, is still regarded as being married to Peter Capaldi's doctor. Mm-hmm. Right. Then we get Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, which is viewed by the show as a genuine sex change, not just a simulated, you know, surgical chemical sex change, but an actual sex change. And there we enter territory that is 
not addressed in Catholic theology because humans mm-hmm. cannot do that. Right. And the presumption would be that the marriage would be invalid at that point, or at least something one could not act on until such time as a regeneration back into the other sex occurred. Okay. So it would either, would either break the marriage if it's a natural marriage, because a natural marriage cannot exist between two such persons, or if they were both baptized, then you might have an argument due to the sacramentality of it somehow continuing, but would not be able to be acted upon. Mm-hmm. until such time as they're both of the proper genders for the marriage to be acted upon. Interesting. Right. Good. Yeah. The re- part of the reason I say that is because that there would be an argument for it perduring is uh-huh. that, according to church teaching, a sacramental consummated marriage cannot be broken by anything right. but death, and a regeneration okay. is not a death. Mm-hmm. Right. I was going to say, if uh, for if you want to ask more uh, weird questions like that, uh, you listen to Catholic Answers Live, where Jimmy once in a while does like a weird questions episode where he answers <laughs> all kinds of interesting questions along those lines. That definitely, but we love to get your feedback, and we'll we'll take more feedback from anyone on this. And Tim, I hope that was a good answer to your question. And by the way, I just want to acknowledge the folks who would look at this situation that has just been posed and say, "That's you know, I just don't like that situation at all." Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I think that wraps it up for us. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Doctor Who, including Barrett H., Matthew S., Philip D., James C., and Kyle M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. Now is a great time to become a StarQuest patron, and thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter, when you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor to support all our shows, including this one, which makes your gift go even further. And we're more than three quarters of the way to our goal of $2,000 in new monthly pledges. Uh, we have some important things we're trying to work on that will, that increased budget will help us with, including some new shows and a new website. So won't you help us close that gap? If you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now's the time. Visit sqpn.com slash give today. And we also want to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Greatest Show in the Galaxy? You can let us know by commenting at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 11th Doctor story, The Girl Who Waited. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Peace and love, man. Father Corey Stiga, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, I'd like a there and back off-peak weekend break Super Savior Senior Citizen bi-monthly season with optional added facilities, a free cup of coffee and a plastic glass, and a crocodile sandwich, and make it snappy. Right. This is going to be fun.